Good day, good evening, good night, and welcome to our seventh episode of The Black Cauldron. We are, no, we're not half, would we be halfway through? Yes, we would be halfway through if we are sticking to a two per, two episode per book formula, but format, but I don't think that's going to happen <gasps> as we'll see how this book turns out. But we're on to the Goblet of Fire and I'm so excited to be here. Because, you know, allegedly, I used to think this was one of my favorite books. But my favorite book, but Janina informed me today that it's probably not when she saw my... <laughs> when I sent the agenda and this sort of, like, point that we can sort of, like, focus on. So, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. But before I go any further, let me introduce my co-hostesses with the Mosesses. Let me find out whether they are alive and well and whether they still exist. I am currently under curfew, so you know what time it is when we're recording. Oh, you're podcast. not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> you can't even go get some dinner. I can't even get some ice cream if I wanted to. Like my friends, when I, the friends think about, oh, let's meet up. I'm just like, no, we can't do any of that. <laughs> if we had to meet, we have to meet in the park like at three o'clock, so we could just like walk around and be home safe. I don't want 7 o'clock to meet me outside at all. I don't know if you're going to be safe at 3. Shit. Uh, Just well, saying. That too. That too. But let's, before I go any further, let me introduce Professor Deb. How are you on the way in D.C.? Well, D.C. Well, metro area. D.C. adjacent, Baltimore. I'm doing well, good. I mean, Deb, Deb in New York, people's mind is just D.C. I know, I know. And when people and, say and, D.C., they almost even, they're close to almost even saying Virginia at times. And but, like, Lately, Baltimore is becoming almost a, um, a, a bedroom community for D.C. because it's, it's gotten so expensive to live I can in imagine. That people are, are coming to Baltimore to get apartments and buy homes, and especially in the area around the train station, because they can then jump on the commuter train and be in D.C. in 55 minutes. Oh, so, so Baltimore is becoming like Hoboken is to yeah, New York City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Wait, yeah. 55 minutes is a short commute girl like for for, for, the, for those oh prices God. it will be it will be a shock yeah it'll work on a train oh you my don't God. gotta worry about um like traffic or anything like that it's just a train mm-hmm. ride what, what is it how long is it to come in from long island to New York? um on the train it depends really and and the trains are not reliable you're thinking hogwarts express you're thinking <laughs> Just your oh, the Long Island Railroad. Um, and it depends because there are different uh, points where you can end in the city. There is a finite stop in Brooklyn, and there is um, you can probably get Jamaica in Queens and probably take local if you want to be somewhere in Queens, and you can come all the way to Penn Station, which most people tend to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I would imagine it. I don't imagine the commute would be anything more than 45 minutes an hour yeah. perhaps and there's also the metro not because people do work in like white plains area westchester yeah, etc yeah. so well, that's, not a, that's not outlandish commute um no it's not it's not and i know people come from connecticut actually right and right. even upstate new york into the city all the time for work oh my and God. it's like two hours because yeah. i think it's because of the salary though that's mainly what right. it is yeah i just don't like to you know like it take if it takes me more than fifteen minutes to get to my office, I'm pissed. Yeah, I, I I was never a person that could do a long commute. I never really worked more than ten or fifteen 
max 30 minutes away from the, my home. So y'all are dripping with privilege, scared. dripping okay. with privilege. Look at you people. Maybe we're limiting ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like dripping. But it also depends on your feel, right? And if you can find, and because yeah. most of us want a convenient a job that is close to home. Nobody wants yeah. to spend this time commuting. But, you know, people have different factors, right? Like, I know a lot of people who it's because of the salary they can get. So, they literally, they have to factor in transportation costs, which right. can be hefty. But That's the salary crazy. makes up for it. And also, sometimes the job might give them a benefit. Like, for example, it might give you, uh, allow you to tax credit and, uh, all, mm-hmm. and they also give you stipend for, like, transportation. But, mm-hmm. you know... But, you know, people like being out of the city and just, like, away from the city, you know. They enjoy They don't want to live in the city specifically because of, because they also factor in rent, you know, because it's like, for these prices, I can get a big, sprawling mansion in right. Westbury, you know. So, for the price I'm paying for rent, you know, in New York City, so. And they have kids. And they want to be as far away from those, those rugrats as possible. So. <laughs> oh, my. You, you people love your kids. I'm sure of it. <laughs> <laughs> you want to see them, you wanted to see them as often as you could so how how is life going for you Deb? how is it you know it's going okay i was i was speaking to someone well interacting with someone on the um on twitter i hadn't hadn't interacted with for a while and i said to her i think they're gonna have to blast me out of this house once this is all over because <laughs> you know i really am a very introverted person homebody person and, um, you know, so this has really been playing to my weakness. <laughs> <laughs> All your strengths that you taught before. Well, I mean, my, you know, you need to get out some. But um, so, I mean, I spent every day this week saying, I really don't need to go out. I really don't need anything from the drugstore. I really don't need. So, you know, so now I have to go out tomorrow because it's like, okay, you finally have You to drive go. everywhere, right? You're one of those people yeah, who drive so this- everywhere. Right. I mean, that's, you can't, you know, we don't have any, we don't have any decent transportation like you guys have in New York. Oh, okay. That is true. No, we don't. So you have to, even if you live in the city, you have to drive everywhere. You don't have to drive far, but you do have to drive. That sucks. And here I am walking to the supermarket, walking to laundry, you know, and like, it's just like, oh, I I think of this as an exercise. Like, you know, I can, if my friends ask me, is there parking around your house? And I'm just like, I don't know. I never even look for that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. my friends who drive are just like, I never look for that. Like, why would I? I'd be like, see whether I can fit in between two cars? That's all I need to worry about. I, had a, I have a friend who lives in Brooklyn, and I swear to God, for the first two years she lived in her apartment, her um, rent was cheaper than her parking parking yes, oh, wow that, that is that is it, it is an issue here too yeah it, she, it is had, she had here. a senior apartment and um her she didn't she was she was on the waiting list to have parking on in that apartment building so in the meantime she had to park at a pub you know paid parking place and um it was more than what she was paying <laughs> oh god Yes. It is, it, it is a factor. It is a factor. And you would be lucky if you can find, extremely lucky, and only they would only offer that to people um, if you work outside of the city. Right. Like, I know if the, if the office, you would get parking in the parking lot no matter what. 
But once you come to the city, you're on your own unless you're a C level. Then the company pays for your parking. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. Yeah, you gotta pay. You gotta pay for that parking, and it's crazy. Right. Yeah. So, so we are heading to. Um, so Janina, how are you? Since you're talking and you know judging us, what's up? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> we already you're know. Far in Ohio, is, you know how it is. Yeah, right? it's two dollars mortgage. more than my mortgage. <laughs> I know two dollars mortgage, <laughs> and it's just like a penny groceries. I mean, like that's where you you live. When I think of the prices you quote, I feel like I'm in a little house in the prairies when they talk about like <laughs> shopping at Mrs. Mrs. Olsen. Her name was merchandise store. Is that what? <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah. people. I'm not that old, but I grew up in a third world country and we saw all these old movies and films. So trust me, all TMs, TMC. I I know that back catalog at heart at one point. So how is it in far in Ohio? Um, yeah. <laughs> well, you're not under quarantine, though. Not, not under, no, everything is... You're not, you're not is, under quarantine, not curfew. No, every... We only... Well, the city I live in has not had a curfew at all, but Cleveland did. And I'm not... I'm not far from Cleveland. And people mm-hmm. were... They were doing the damn thing in Cleveland last weekend. Um, and there was a curfew and there was protesting... And there was rioting and, you know, everything that's happening everywhere else in the world, not even just the country anymore, was happening here. Um, it just, it was close to me, but it wasn't close enough to me that I was actually seeing it. Um, but it's, you know, it doesn't feel any better. I don't feel removed from anything by any means. Okay. So. Well, we're all here about to remove ourselves from the real world altogether and enter into the magical world of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire book four. So before I go on to the book itself, I know Deb has a lovely story to tell us about her. Excited, you know, so as you know, you know, Deb is in the world of publishing. Well, not world of publishing, you know, she's adjacent to the world of publishing. So she gets all of the exciting details. Deb is a wealth of knowledge if you want to know anything about children's literature publishing will by extension so hit deb up on twitter if you want those information those deets so deb let us know your you you have your interest in you have an interesting story to tell us about you know when goblet of the fire came out into the world right when goblet of the fire came out um i was spent i was actually on a the newberry award committee which is the highest drop in, but what? Yeah, go ahead. Um, <laughs> She's but, fancy, but huh? What it does is it restricts what you can read because you have so much to read for that committee that meets the criteria that you really can't afford any time to read something that oh, is I never thought of it that way. Right. So put that in perspective. How many books, like, is it like it's for the year or what? Yeah, it's for an entire calendar year, and you could have. Um, you know, depending on the ebbs and flows of publishing, mm-hmm. and this was this was a number of years ago. This was over ten years ago, so there's probably even a lot more now because publishing has really ramped up in children's and YA. So you know, you, you may have s- several hundred. Or more oh my gosh! Stop. Books. Yeah, no, seriously, that you are expected to read carefully 
and um, be able to respond to, you know, various committee members and people who nominate and what have you. So you this really, is something you're doing outside of your normal job. Yeah, absolutely. Now, most most libraries are really happy to have staff that are serving on these committees. It's prestigious. And oh, because as a bulge, say that's where you put the books in. These books are not in your house. No, oh, okay, good. And then I was working then, so the books weren't in my house. The National Book Awards, I was not working. We'll talk about that some other time. But (laughs) but this this particular year, I was reading, and I can only read books that were written by American authors or authors who were residents of the United States. So this book was not eligible. But in the meantime, I had read um, The Prisoner of Azkaban had fallen deeply head over heels in love. And someone said to me when I was complaining and crying about how I couldn't read it, they said, have you, have you ever listened to them? And I hadn't. So that was my first experience with listening. Then I had to go back and read them. And it was really tough because I had actually received a copy of the book the night it was released at a publisher's event when I was at the at American Library Association conference. But so it was just sitting in my house and I, you know, I dare not read a page because I knew I wouldn't be able to stop. And, um, you know, every single bit of your time was taken with reading the books that you were getting. And it was it was summer. So we were getting all of the books that were published that were going to be published in the fall. And um, I really couldn't afford to take that time. Plus, you know, it's a doorstop. So it wasn't like it was going to be the size of. Right, so, it's, it's a big book. Right, it's a, it's a big book. So um, that was how I started first. That was my first experience listening. I started with Goblet of Fire, and then I went back. And of course, this was this was before CDs. So you you guys know I'm older than dirt. So you, I was actually re- re-listening to this on cassettes. I had bought cassettes in Sam's, in Sam's Club. You know, wow. Right, that was expensive too. Right? Yeah. Yeah. How many was it? How many cassettes it was? It was how many? I'm let's let's guess. Let's legit guess. I'm gonna say somewhere in my house, but thirty-two. I'm gonna say no. I I say fifty. I I, no. I think it was maybe thirty in the high thirties. Oh, look at me! Yay! Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But I I, because remember just. Um, Janina, you probably forgot. You know, that comes on both sides. Oh, both yeah, front and back and back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. So, <laughs> so, um, Imagine. Uh, you know, so that was that was my first experience with listening, and then I went. I was, of course, I was hooked by that point. Fortunately, I was teaching a, a summer course, and I was driving to College Park, Maryland, and that's an hour away. So. And that was I was driving to College Park, Maryland, twice a week, and that was an hour each way. So that was four hours that I was in the car. So they kept me company for. for okay, that. question. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't that you said you weren't allowed to read. So were you like bending the rules a little bit, or was it okay because yeah, you were listening? Read, right? Like so, I want to know, are you were right. you being a rebel? No, no, listening was okay. Listen, because they really don't. Actually, your listening is not counted. Um, even now, with so many books on audio, you still have to read them. Yeah, Reels tells me that when he says, did yep. you read it or did you listen to it? And I'm, I'm like, look, I, I listen, I don't have time to read all the books that I want to read. No, I mean, it, it, professionally, most professionals 
recognize that, you know, depending on what kind of learner you are, the listening, you don't lose. If you, if, if you are a person who is an audio learner, then it actually it enhances your ability to retain and understand. Ding, 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 ding. However, if you're not, however, but if you're however, not, Deb, not, Deb, finish, not, finish, Deb, finish, Deb. Not, you know, it's not the best way. That's one of the reasons we love having so many audiobooks is because as we recognize the differences in learning and the differences in how people read and how they process the information that they get, it's so good to have a variety of ways that you can take in the information. Mm-hmm. That is true. And as I point out to Janina over and over and over again, an illiterate man cannot listen to a book on tape and tell me he read it because he didn't. <laughs> well, I am not illiterate and I do I not know feel you are that not, I am lacking in any of the insane. information that I'm getting from the book. I am consuming it wholly. Damn it. That is true. But I have a question for you, Deb, because this is really fascinating because I I don't think I've ever met anyone. Uh, I probably have, but didn't, don't know anyone who who experienced the book, a book for the first time audibly. Oh, I've done lots of them. So, no, no. So, no, I know you've listened to other books, but just these books in particular. Right. Right. Okay. What was it like hearing this book for the first time? You know, uh, I was really intrigued by um, the, the detail in this book. And I think listening to it really drove that point home. You know, when we read, we almost predict what's going to happen. Right. That's part of, that's part of the reading process. <laughs> yeah, but I think when you're listening, it's sort of like if somebody's talking to you, you don't know where that story is gonna go. I and agree. You just, I think I was much more attuned to the detail in the book, having listened, listening to it for the first time. Now, I did go back, I did go back and read it, um, read the text. And, um, but uh, yeah, that was the way I experienced it. Who was your narrator? Was it Jim Dale? All of them. Yeah, he he did all of them. And um, so it really did. We were having this conversation about Jim Dale recently. Um, because he he does such a good job I voicing so many true, different yeah. characters, voicing seamlessly so too. You always know he doesn't have to say said Draco, and you know right. you know who he, who is speaking. And um, I think he he really bought that unique thing. Now the downside to me is I have a hard time listening to Jim Dale read anything else because he is so <laughs> for me. He is so completely identified with Harry with the Harry Potter series. I have other readers that I have listened to in audiobooks who've read a variety of things, and it doesn't seem it doesn't take me out of the book. But I remembered listening to Jim Dale read a Christmas Carol and thinking, "This is Harry Potter." <laughs> I could see that. So you know, oh my but, god, you know, Harry was thinking, "Oh my god, he has those jobs. Like he can't do anything else but himself." <laughs> Right. But I think, you know, I think he really and it's such a difference when you hear his voice in the last book. You can tell he's aged so much. Um, Ooh, I'm listening to the first book and a little bit of the first book and then listen to a bit of the of the last. As we move through these podcasts, I'm listening because I don't have time to sit down and read all these books right now. 
And this is my first time listening to this series. I'm loving it. So that's that's really interesting. I'm excited to, uh, uh, you know what? to get Dad, there and I, see how it's changed. I didn't even look at it that way. What I detected wasn't that I didn't detect it for me. It wasn't so much so that he had aged. What I felt was that the characters, he had the characters down pat and mm-hmm. he was far more seasoned in the characters. And he now had much more artistic license because to me, by the time he gets to the fourth book, everyone is this clearly distinct. Like everyone is distinct, particularly when he is speaking about Hermione, when Hermione run and mm-hmm. Harry are in the same place all the time. Like everyone is so distinct that like you can tell the, the, the like I, I don't know like you, you I you just feel for me this sense of um like he, the energy level for each character is so different like how he yeah. breathes somewhat I don't know if that makes any sense if it if it really does if it that in fact but it just no it does so it just it feels does. so distinct for me. By the because book, he is definitely on it, like for me. Yes, you and I talked about that when I told you that I was going to listen to the series, and you said by the fourth book, you know what character is speaking because he's got his voices down for each character so well. Um, by that fourth book, and yeah, that is that is so true. Um, I, I just. I, I love I I had I don't know that I would have noticed it honestly I probably would have I don't know but I've not read a series this long that has been narrated or listened to a series this long that's been narrated by the same author to really appreciate how they the narrator themselves grows into the character and develops that, that character and he does so good so good I mean I I just we're so off topic but anyways. When I I listened to um, the Crazy Rich Asians trilogy. It's not even the same narrator every time, and that really pissed me off. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, wait, why is this so different? No, I know. I I I, I read a, a series that I really liked. Um, it was The City of Bones, uh, Cassandra Clare, and I am a big steampunk person, and she had a prequel series to the City of Bones series called The Infernal Devices. And the first book was read by Jennifer Ely. Now, anybody who reads, who knows Pride and Prejudice knows that Jennifer Ely was the Elizabeth Bennet in the BBC production that is considered the production of Pride and Prejudice. So, and she's a wonderful reader. She's a great actress, wonderful reader. I was so excited to get the second book. They completely changed readers. And in fact, they did a two-person reading um, and then something totally different for the third book. So it's really rare what has happened. For yeah, because I'm almost sure that... Yeah, I've read, I've read, I've listened to series where it was three or four books and one person read them. But it's, get this many, seven? I, I think initially he was asked, I may be wrong on this, or my beginning. He was asked to do the first book and then they kept him on. And I think by the third or fourth book, I think they were like, yeah, you can do all of it all together. But I didn't even consider that, you know, you are right, Deb, that you, you mentioned something that I didn't even, I thought that the, the books on tape basically came out, the CDs came out after all of the books were published. But then you reminded us earlier that mm-hmm. these are one of the first sets of books 
yes. where the audio and the book came out simultaneously. Right. So That's he got to read started. the books. He yeah, got to read the book beforehand. It changed publishing for young people's books because you wouldn't even guarantee that every young that young people's books would be on audio or be on recorded books. I mean, it was they're so they, back in the day they were so expensive. The technology was such that you not every car could even accommodate. Well, so, they're so expensive. I mean, they really are. Expensive. And they're expensive but, in compared to you know going out and buying a physical book. Exactly. Well, I, I, I have to tell you, it has improved so tremendously that it makes it possible to, you know, to have many more, um, many more of these books put on tape, and it's become a whole nother, um, you know, addition to the industry, especially as people are running and commuting and doing all kinds of things, right. finding ways to to really use them. And I think um, I think the Harry Potter series had a lot to do with it. Well, unfortunately for me, I cannot consume a book solely by listening to it. I can listen to it and read the book at the same time. Mm-hmm. But uh, I can just read the book, which I do with the Harry Potter. But the only reason I can listen to the Harry Potter series by itself and do other things, it's because I know the book. Right. Yeah. That's the only reason. Yeah. But if I'm like, for example, like for the classes like Oliver Twist, I dare not listen to that and not have the book in front of me. I have to read the book. Right. Because for me, it, it becomes a thing like if I need to find something, like a quote and whatever, Janine, I am not photographic memory. I need to that's know where that, that page has been. That's that photographic memory that you don't have. Yeah, <laughs> I need that's to that photographic memory coming into play that he swears he doesn't have. <laughs> Just like our discussion last night outside of the podcast, what page is it on, he says. <laughs> <laughs> This book, if we've noticed, it's the first book, and I think it might be um, one of the it's the first book where we do not do we start in the muggle world. We do not start where we usually start. We don't start, we with don't the start in Privet Drive. Yeah. So the Goblet of Fire, though at first I'm, I'm sure it was overwhelming for children to see this big fat book, and this is supposed to be a children's book. But nevertheless, children who are on the series sort of grew up with the series. So hopefully they were growing in their reading levels. Um, but this was this big, thick green book, if at least the American version was. And we start in the Riddle House. And interesting enough, we've heard that name Riddle before in book two. Right. And we've come to realize that the Riddle House, we might suspect, has something to do with Voldemort. But there's a lot of intrigue around the Riddle House that is that we, we had no information for. We know, um, I think Voldemort mentioned in book two he had certain contempt for his father. Mm-hmm. And we noticed that his father and grandparents were killed mysteriously. And I think the Frank Bryce, the gardener, was accused of murder initially. But no evidence was found as to whether murder in fact took place and was in a locked room. I have issues about that. We'll give it that later on. And he was released, subsequently released, but the house seemed to have been a bad luck element for a lot of people. And now at the current state of where we are, it's in a sense of um, disrepair. And Frank Bryce, the same gardener, is at the house and he looks up and sees that someone's in the house. And we overhear to a conversation 
And Voldemort is telling us that he is his plans on his way. He has big plans, etc. So what did you ladies think about? Because all the while we, we have we had such a good precedent before we'd established such a firm connection that in the first three books of what was happening in Privet Drive, we were always in Privet Drive. I know we're in a completely different place in England. We don't know where it is in England. And a completely different business is happening altogether. Nothing unlike what we, you know, it was abuse over here. Well, but now we have like gossip and intrigue and again, murder. But you it, know. Was, it was different, too, because we were getting some backstory. Right. It wasn't something that was happening now. So, I mean, I, we talked about before how book three things really start to take a turn and it gets dark. Um, so I guess it seems OK that this starts yeah. differently because it ended differently. Right. Um, but we it, it wasn't in the present. It wasn't, yeah. you know, with Harry, yeah. with his aunts and uncles and crazy cousin yeah. or blowing anybody up or him getting in trouble. You know, none of that was happening. So it was that that I, you you start there and you're like, ooh, what is this? What is this? And you really get. That opening part really isn't very long at all, but you get a lot of information, a whole lot. Well, well we get some back backstory, but it's actually happening in real time. Um, I think. I mean, we're really because remember, um, we're we're seeing Wormtail, um, who has run away, who's gotten away, and we see, um, and so they. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm sorry. No, no, no. What, what I think we meant when we said we're getting a back. That's Harry's dream. No, no, no. We're no. getting a backstory. Oh, yeah, yeah. we're getting a backstory. about the Riddle House. We're getting a history of yeah. the Riddle House. Right. We find out what happened to. We get that backstory, but when Frank sees that that there is somebody, he thinks there's somebody in the house. Right. That, that is currently present. happening. That is currently happening. That is currently happening. So we, but we do get all that backstory. What struck me was just like in the magical world, um, the muggles were happy to have um, a, a, a closure on those murders, even though it was even without real evidence. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like they had said, "Oh, yes." It's like the wizard said, "Oh, it was serious." He killed all those muggles. That's the end yeah, of it. The same thing happens. With these muggles, well, he 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 had a funny look about him. The war made him crazy. So you know they were they were, people were looking for a way to close this out that they could understand. And even though there was yeah. all this mystery about it, and the, the people said he, they had to let him go because they couldn't even find a cause of death in those people. There was a court. There was what is the line? There was nothing wrong with them except that they were dead. Right, exactly. So, they were taking a, a nap, or perhaps and whoever they got sat down. to death, right? Right, but you know that there is a sort of a continuation from the third third book. Now that you say something, Deb, in that a murderer got away, and now we know here in this fourth book we begins mm -hmm. with uh, two murderers got away, right? Allegedly serious is an alleged murderer that got away, but right. we know the reader that Wormtail is an alleged murder is is a real murderer he killed 13 muggles he got away okay. and not only do we find yeah. him here we find that two other murders happen that is in the past that goes unsolved three sorry 
another triple murder um, right. happened unsolved. You know, another father, mother, son combination um, yep. goes unsolved. And we have another murder that it's, it's, it happens um, at the end of this chapter. And unlike, I think this is the first time where we actually see a murder. All the time we were hearing talk of murders, there right. is flashback murders, right. but we see an actual murder takes place. And I don't know, it almost feels, for me, I remember reading it and I was just like, okay, I get it, but it just seemed so this man had nothing to do with y'all business. You know what I mean? Just, just like, this man was mainly in the way here, rather. You know what I mean? He was just somewhat and, but that seems way. to be what Voldemort does. You're in the way, you're gone. Way We're not going to give you the opportunity to say that you saw me. Well, I mean, it's not even that, though. It's just there are other ways to inca- there are other ways to incapacitate someone, right? He could have memory charm, could have been done, but it's it's almost the, the the casualness in which murder happens to him, right? And this. I think I mentioned in my thing, I don't know how I could exactly describe it really, but for me, this book has a certain kind of balance and symmetry that what happens in the beginning somewhat is what is ha- what happens at the end. Absolutely. If that makes any yep. sense, right? Exactly. I don't know if it's a symmetry, a parallel, exactly. or whatever the case may be, but I the book has a... foreshadowing. It's actually right. foreshadowing. foreshadowing. There's What's going to happen at the end, and I think you're right. Your Your word is symmetry. And it's absolutely symmetry. Um, so I totally agree with that. But yeah. I think it also it's also the, you know, we 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 really we have heard about the evil of Voldemort. We've heard about his evil second and third hand, but now we really get to mm-hmm. see it. In, in we the get case. to see it. Yeah. Which you see how easy it is for him. I think I think you say that it's casual. I think it's important for us to see how truly easy it is for him because it is, and we're gonna see it again at the end of this book. You know, if he doesn't care who he kills, he he's he's on one track mind here, and I got to do what I got to do to get where I want to be. And whoever gets in my way, you're out of there. But it's not clearly he's been doing that since he was a young kid. I mean, because that's how this book starts. We learn about him killing his family. Right. But it, it, it's, I guess that's probably it. But there is, I feel like there's another word I want to say, but I don't know what it is exactly. But yes, because Frank Bryce gives the implication. And that's a very important note here that happens here that is probably kind of, I guess we know, but it's, we don't realize the significance of it. That Frank Bryce says, you know, the, the thing that I see here, that um, the thing that happens here that I see is I saw a young man, a son of a. He he describes him in a certain kind of a way. Um, let me see if I can find the exact thing. He says who he sees, and we know this is this turns out to be Voldemort. That he sees this boy. Well, he's the young with the dark hair. He says. Is that what he says? Is this the exact thing? Yeah, he says he says he see, he says no one was around when this happened. The only person that he saw come or go to the house was the young teenage boy, and he describes him, and we know that that's Tom oh, he Riddle said, no, because he we've said, no, he said a stranger. 
he says, I see here, the only person who has been near the house on the day of the riddle's death has, had been a teenage boy, a stranger, dark-haired and pale. And that's something I think it's often been, we would see, it comes at Voldemort all the time, right? His paleness, his complexion is always a thing that sort of like comes up all the time. But yeah, so we, we have to presume that this boy, a teenager, killed three people. And again, another book starting off with triple murder. Um, <laughs> <laughs> another book. But this I thought was rather interesting and significant. I mean, because now we get the sense. Because in the other book, and the also interesting thing for this book is that Voldemort is present. And he's present in the beginning of the chapter. That he mm-hmm. physically is present. And the other time his presence was probably only mentioned, probably foreshadowed, mm-hmm. spoken of. We see him and we realize now that whatever we wanted to believe, he's no longer a, a, a shadowy figure somewhere in the background. He is right. a real being. However, you know, because there seem to be some um, Wormtail mentioned, you are weak. You know, like you don't mm-hmm. have the strength to do anything. So he's in some sort of a compromised state. But however, to do evil and to commit murder, he has full strength for that. <laughs> so, and we also realize that he's no longer using unicorn blood. He's using the, um, he's drinking venom, snake venom to be milk. There's a certain level of crudeness. As opposed to, I guess, the only other magical being that we see is Voldemort. It's Dumbledore, right? And though Dumbledore doesn't necessarily do magic, which apparently McGonagall says, you know, you're just too noble to do these things. And Dobby says the same thing, right? Dobby says, you know, Dumbledore, you know, um, Dumbledore's a decent wizard, you know. <laughs> he won't be right. he won't be doing these There's a certain kind of a smoothness. I mean, when you see Dumbledore and the connection between Dumbledore and Fox, we've seen in book two, there's a certain kind of smallness and an elegance to just, right. you know, um, Dumbledore magic. There's a style kind of thing. Yeah, a style element. I mean, granted, Dumbledore, the thing Dumbledore is trying to do is nowhere near anything that, you know, Voldemort is trying to do out here. But there's a certain level of uh, crudeness to, to, to um, I guess this is why it's a dark arts, right? We won't get into the colorism in that element, but, you know, there's a dark, uh, you know, it's just very dark and, you know, it requires so much sacrifice and so much, you know, like other things have to give up in service in order for this one man to continue being, right? So many, so many things have to be trampled and, you know, destroyed in order to give him his thing. And we basically get on this short little chapter here, this tiny chapter here, which to me was really um, fascinating. And I was like, oh my God, this poor man is dead. Like, who is going to find him. I worried about it. About whether someone's going to find this man. Like, you know, and I'm like, and you know what was interesting too for me in this, that, that the fire that he mentions, though he apparently didn't say it, but to me, I get the sense that what was surprising to him that a fire could have been started in the house, you know, that the, because he thought it was probably like a candle or something like that. So I guess whatever, like gas or whatever was no longer connected to the house. Right. But he was fat. He was he was scared to him that a fire can actually be burning in the fireplace. That just you know that just stood out to me when I read it the second well, I mean, when I read it. There. We don't see it, but you know the the wizards have the ability 
to to create fire. I mean, you know, like to put right. flame. Like they can do that quite easily. Yeah, I mean, that's just, they can do that. And so he he's thinking, oh, somebody's got to build a fire. All the things that that muggles do to make a fire, yeah. but monsters don't need to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. But sometimes they do do it because they're not talking about ash. But that's not the end. But um, the other <laughs> thing that was rather interesting here for me is. It's the first time we see another human get full contact besides the Dursleys. Because the Dursleys, they are aware of magic exists, but they're like usually scared shitless to the power of magic, right? right? Now we see a totally ignorant being butts up with magic and seeing magic, hearing about magic, and then he sees this giant snake. I mean, I too would have, because I was just like, in my head, I was when I was remember reading it for the first time, and even now as I read it, just like, sir, take your ass and get the fuck out of this house. Just <laughs> brown. Like, him. why are you still here? Like, <laughs> like two minutes, but Nagini told on him. Right, exactly. Yeah. Nagini was just like, there's a snitch at the door. <laughs> <laughs> Nagini was just like, she's just rolling her double, just like, oh, Nagini got some exciting news. Well, yeah. uh, but I was just like, sir, I don't know why you should. I didn't even know why you even got in this house in the first place, you know. And then pull him. He's trying to like, my wife has expected me, and I was just like, you know, sir, you think he's gonna be like, oh, okay, let me let you go back to your wife, <laughs> sir. Like, <laughs> your plan should have been like, how am I gonna get jump off of this wall and then jump over this banister? They, how am I going to get out of this house as soon as possible? But he dies. Well, and he says, I get, you know, I get this sneaking feeling that he, this man could talk to snakes. Right. Which was interesting, too, right? For him, he was just like, yeah. it's like all of the logical thing that we would have been, you know, it's this thing that where he's seen everything in front of him, but he's just like, no, this isn't possible. Like, what? Is Because I'm just like, sir, we've already gone past that because a giant snake. Roll up in front of you. I don't care if you can talk to snakes. I just know the snake is going in. The snake saw me, <laughs> didn't bite me, and that I was given a chance to run. <laughs> right? He says, you called me what? <laughs> I, I but, think one thing that's worth pointing out in this whole scene is, is um, Wormtail's um, attempt to try to get um, uh, Voldemort off his plan to get to Harry. Um, yeah. And I think that may, you know, at the end of book three, um, Dumbledore talks about the fact that it's my, it might be a good thing that you will have Wormtail in your debt um, because he he had let Wormtail go, so to speak, you know, by not letting them kill him. And so Wormtail does try to, can we do this with somebody else? And why, you know, I don't, you know, why do we, why bother? We, we can leave the boy alone. And, um, you know, this the thoughts a conflict between the two of them until, you know, Wormtail has to back down because, you know, Voldemort is like, ah, no, this is, what, because he doesn't really understand the Horcrux thing. So he doesn't right. understand why Harry has to be the one. He thinks that it's just. But this, is, but this is the Horcrux situation, though. No, no. Yeah, it. I felt like he says, I've already explained to you why it has to be him. He right. doesn't come out and say it, but knowing how, what we know, having but already the, read everything, I no, think this is the first. 
But the reason oh, but Voldemort why... doesn't know that Harry's a Horcrux at this no, point. Right, he right, right. It's no. not a Horcrux that he wants to eliminate. He wants right. to eliminate the mother's protection. That's what he right. wants. Yeah. Because that's the thing that stopped exactly. him in the first book. That's right? right. He that's attempts right. to kill Harry then, but then it didn't work. Because and it has to do with the prophecy. Yeah. Right. And he says, I have my reasons for using the boy, as I've already explained to you, and I will use no other. I have waited right. 13 years. A few more months will make no difference. As for the protection surrounding the boy, I believe my plan will be effective. So, but you know, Deb, it's funny. You point out something that I didn't even consider it that way when Wormtail was trying to dissuade Voldemort. Mm-hmm. But you see now Voldemort has a plan, and this time he seems to be confident because technically he's only had one other plan, right? The plan right. in the first book. The second book wasn't a plan, right? That right. just happenstance put that situation right. in. But for me, I thought what Duomte was trying to do was not avoid Voldemort getting to Harry, was trying to avoid Sirius and Lupin because those people, I thought he didn't want to face the eye of yeah. those two people. I never even thought of it like he was trying to convince him because I never, me, that, I thought he was trying that, to save his ass, his own ass. I never right. thought he was trying to protect Harry. But, that, but that I, is interesting. But I think, yeah, but I think I think that remember your way works as well too. That's a, that's a yeah, excellent because point. Because he has that debt. He and and he is indebted to him, and he may not be acting out of that that debt indebtedness, but he knows that the whole Harry Potter thing is fraught for him. Whether right. It's, it's the indebtedness, the connection. It's or too whether much. The, the who is serious anywhere around, or is Lupin anywhere around, or I, he may not even. I don't want to fool with Hogwarts. You know, right? Because remember, I'm his original plan was that all of them would have been killed. Yeah. Harry was not supposed to survive. Right. But with yeah. Harry dead, that there would have been with everybody wiped out. Right. Right. He would have no. No one would have known that he was even involved in the plot. Right. right. Serious knew. Right, but then he knew that by getting rid of Sirius and Azkaban, hopefully Sirius would be dead. But nothing goes according to his plan at all. Like this plan just backfired, and then Sirius is in Azkaban, and he's just like, "Ooh, that's a bullet." Wherever Voldemort is, like, "Ooh, I don't gotta be messing with that mess anytime." Because mm-hmm. Voldemort points out to him, "You didn't come back to me out of loyalty. You right. came back to me because you had nowhere else to go. You live in which is exactly body. what Sirius said." You live in a dangerous body, right? Right. You 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 cannot be shown anywhere else. You attempted to do this, and then you made up into this Bertha Jockins, and he was like, "Oh, yes, but I love Bertha Jockins." But you know, I have to say, Warm Tail. I was surprised that um, Voldemort was calling him Warm Tail all the time, because I thought Warm Tail was a name for the friend. But what I thought was interesting is that Warm Tail be. Wormtail doesn't miss a beat, though. Every time Wormtail seems to be calling, he got something to say. He's just like, he is thinking on his feet. He needs to get out of every tight spot he's in. He's like a, he's really like a mouse, right? No backbone, right? Exactly. He can get into <laughs> any kind of tight corner. That's what I talk about when we were talking about people who were just cunning, you know, who, mm-hmm. who were smart. Because I wouldn't call Wormtail smart, but Wormtail knows how to save himself. Right. And he knows that. So he really is one of these people looking around for the main chance. And, you know, I know on that that score, um, Voldemort has him pegged. But he's useful in that he he feels like 
he needs to be up under somebody powerful. That was right. a. But Voldemort has a, but that's the thing, right? Because Voldemort knows he has outplayed himself, right? He is now cornered. He's now checked. There right. is no other place for him to go. Exactly. Right, and that's yeah. I think that that's Voldemort also that's Voldemort skilled, right? Yeah. He knows how to get at people because he thought that you know Vol um Wormtail initially thought that you know like I'm gonna go to Voldemort, I'm gonna get protection, you know whatever the case may be. But Voldemort fell. Sirius told him that you didn't count on your boy yeah. losing the fight, and then you wheedle out of getting to Azkaban. That's problems for you with that crowd. You can't show up, or you can't show yourself running around here in the real world. And now people realize who you are because the children mm-hmm. saw you. You don't know what effect that would be. That would have a loop, and you probably could be like, you know, no one's looking for me, or whatever. But people know because you you've hidden yourself for 13 years. Right. All the people who knew you would probably be a rat didn't think you were still alive. And then you got nowhere else to go because which which part of the world you can't show up in the real world, you know, and be like, hey, Peter Pettigrew here, I change your name because everybody knows. Like we said last time, I'm wrong. Everybody knows who Peter Pettigrew is. So yeah, um, but Voldemort has him right where he wants, so he has to solve him. He has nowhere else to go, and you, and you could see him, right? I need to go. You know, don't worry. I could find somebody for you, Voldemort. Is just like, no. I'll be bitch. back in two days. Uh-uh. <laughs> don't be playing me. Don't be playing me. Okay, don't play yourself. You will not go anywhere. And you see that powerful hold over Voldemort because clearly he is—he's clearly not physically up to his full strength, but yet he's able to command his soldiers right, right. away. Because if he had, if, yeah. if, if Wormtail had left him in there, who was gonna milk Nagini? Who was going to keep him sustained? But you know he is able to intimidate, even though you know he's really not operating from the greatest of strengths. But he is he is the, the he is able to intimidate Wormtail into remaining loyal and sticking with him and helping him with this plan. But is that snake though? I guess that snake got everybody running like ooh. <laughs> snake just, that snake is a problem, right? <laughs> because indeed. Frank was going to make a run for it, and then Frank was just like, oh, no, this snake is, uh-uh. And I think Voldemort does threaten um, Peter with, with, with Nagini, right? Like, oh, Nagini will have you tonight. Mm-hmm. So, and then by the time we get to the, so we wait, the, the chapter ends where, in the second, we realize that Harry, interestingly enough, Harry is seeing this this incident. Harry witnesses this incident. Which he yeah. as a dream, and then he gets up, and the dream isn't real. Like if you think it's a dream, this isn't happening. My scar is in pain, right? Another element which we'll see has greater significance um, later on. And he's like, "What's happening here? This seems like a dream, but it seems like it's real. You know, too much details is happening, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you know, he is contemplating what." What should he do? Should he write Ron and Hermione? And no, he's like, you know what? I'm going to write Sirius. Oh, Jesus, child. (laughs) My sentiment's exactly real. (laughs) This silly boy. But, you know, he goes on stage. Would you you like him to reach out to Dumbledore? 
Well, that's the that's the odd thing, right? Because I guess you you two are going to tell me he's a child, but then there is this thing that Harry kept doing because Harry has a close relationship with Dumbledore, though he isn't aware of this. That beyond anyone else has, right? That he and Dumbledore have spoken to each other on numerous occasions and rather extensively, right? And Dumbledore has a personal connection to him, right? Because Dumbledore literally says, I give you the father's cloak, you know. I knew your father. We talked. I borrowed it. The mirror of error said scene. Did he and Dumbledore talk? So yeah. to me, he's just like, I don't know where Dumbledore is. And I'm like, Bitch, it doesn't matter. You all could find anybody. No, no, serious is either, but you say exactly. go find him. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's just like, what is this? Like, just but I think you, can... you just made a very key point, though. You said they have a relationship, though, that Harry's not quite aware of yet. So I think that's the downfall. He feels that he has more of a connection to Sirius being, you know, learning that he's his godfather and that he wasn't this horrible monster that everybody was uh, making him out to be. I don't think he, he doesn't feel like he has this closeness with Dumbledore. I don't think it's that though. I think it's maybe because it's how Dumbledore treats him. Dumbledore treats him perhaps in his mind, like a magical artifact, right? Because to Dumbledore, when he and Dumbledore are having conversation, particularly at the end of any like, the great adventures he is harry potter the boy who lived right yeah right with sirius that this brief connection he had with sirius it's this potential because he put so much in story in this relationship that was mainly trans it's just in passing right because he spent most of the book in book three thinking sirius is a murderer right that he's right. killed his parents right sirius is responsible for his very miserable poor life and then find out oops no it's me the pedigree next page oh godfather wonderful excited i get out of the dursley situation and we can see pretty much why he wants to get out of there right but right. he never um he never says oh perhaps i could stay with the rat with the weasleys you know what i mean he never asked whether he can do any of these things right because granted that i mean technically time wise he never spends that much time at the private drive anymore he basically spends more time not only he's away at school even on the holidays he's not at private drive for most of the day he's just not there yeah. most of the time he's literally spends more time outside of he probably spends a month at the most at private drive a couple of weeks if anything at private drive but my thing was just that he's put in because if he has a question about what's happening to him Dumbledore has been answering those questions for him. Right. You know what I mean? Dumbledore has been giving him some answers to those questions. And to me, he didn't, he constantly, it's like information that he has, and this is something that will constantly pop up for him, right? He holds on to information. He doesn't share willingly. He only, when he is, he, he operates in the sense of like, on a need to know basis. Right. Even with mm -hmm. his friends. Right? He's always constantly holding back. I can't let them know. You know, and I mean, this is by default book, I'm just I'm just really over her because I'm just like, idiot. These people have literally risked their lives with you. Because guess what, right? People have no people it's obvious that people who are trying to attack you don't care about these two. 
they they're interested in having a conversation with you, right? They would linger and chat, you know, do that villainous conversation like, "Oh, you're, you know, I'm here to destroy you, and here's why I'm here to destroy you." But Ron and Hermione, they just, you know, they're just taking up space. We can just knock them out, right? We don't give a shit, you know what I mean? So you kind of owe them <laughs> the right to sort of like be much more open and honest with them. But he constantly holds so much back. Because you would find out that this information he doesn't share with them until like capable of that at this point. Okay, I would give. I mean, mm, I I hear you. I think he is. You know, he's been so um, developmentally um, retarded. Yeah, it's it's really been his 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 development and all of his socialization and things like that are are really kind of behind. You know, he has not had interactions with people, with peers. He's glad to have friends, but he doesn't really have the skill set to fully be fully a part of a relationship yet. And I think that is, you know, as a result of the abuse that you that you talk about so eloquently, I think that that's a big part of it. He eventually gets past it later, you know, but not not right not yet. He's still. Um, in that position of overthinking who he should, act, you know, yeah. really not. Is this real? Do I even really but have? He doesn't have that. Man, but the thing about it, he doesn't have any option because the world in which Harry, I mean, the like, key is isolated. I mean, yeah, he's very isolated in the muggle in the real world, right? Those people right. they stab, they abuse him. Totally. He, he doesn't have any friends, you know, like. Totally. And these are the only people, and I mean, at this point. I mean, because uh, that's one of the reasons I don't want to get ahead. I was sort of like, mad at the whole interaction between him and Ren because these people have earned your trust. They have, they have literally, and not only that, too. They when you compl- haven't learned how to trust yet, I think it's very hard, even though the people have done all the right things. I think human relationships are so complex. complex. And you, they have, Ron has always had um, interactions, give and take, you know, rough and tumble, all of that. I suspect her, while Hermione may not have had close, close friends, she just felt like she had a close relationship with her parents. So these are he, and you there know, are people who have who know how to be in a relationship. He has never yeah. been. He has always been on the outside of a family. He has only been yeah. may as well been look outdoors, looking. I mean, we the Dursleys. We even see him question things throughout this book, you know, like Ron says, you're not going to have a problem finding a date to the ball. Everyone's going to line up to go with you. You're a school champion. Hermione says, oh, they only like him because he's famous. And then Harry hears that because, you know, we hear we hear Malfoy constantly saying in Snape, oh, the famous Harry Potter. So then that plays over in his head. These people don't really like me. They just think I'm famous. So they want to be close to me. He actually does express those doubts, but of course it's not going to be in an eloquent way because he's 12. But no, but you know what's interesting? I, I mean, what oh, is he 14 now? He's 14 <laughs> now. So here's the thing. So I don't even. So I even worse. <laughs> so I grew up with. I told you that I grew up um, in a system similar to the school system, right? Right. And that was the thing that was. Though they were developing that I could see the, 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 them maturing through each year, right? Right. Um, Rowling does that 
Rowling does that very subtly and so clearly, right? That right. she doesn't have to be break that kind of like, oh my God, Harry's voice is ringing. Like she doesn't do any of these like traditional demarcation of what puberty is, but you can tell in their energy that I right. found them still immature because typically at fourth year, the students, students, the fourth year students in this system are much are expressing higher levels of m- maturity because we are always thinking about the equivalent of OWLs or ordinary levels because there's ordinary levels and advanced levels so there's a certain that puberty somewhat sort of happens in the first year because particularly when you're in a co-ed school the girls haven't matured already and get into whatever the case may be the boys have are forced to almost be have to get up to that level because that's one of the things that happens constantly in school particularly in a co-ed school, is that the girls are showing they're better at studying, they get a better grades. So the right. boys yeah. have to raise their level. But somehow, these kids, I'm, I'm, sometimes I almost feel that it's kind of sad. But sometimes I think that all that Harry really wants is somebody to hug him and feed him, just for like a yep. minute. You know what I mean? That's as much. You know what I mean? But And he doesn't, he it's true, that. he doesn't know how to sit. He but, says you know, that. He does. When Molly, yeah, when Molly hugs him extra tight before she goes and gives him a second hug, he says that even though he feels awkward, he's grateful. Right, but you know that's funny because we later find out that's Dumbledore, but that's Dumbledore doing in the beginning, right? But it's such a horrible thing, you know, because Dumbledore, you know, treated him like a magical artifact because he should have been able to someone. I mean, and and this. In this book, he says on page 15, well, I've got the illustrated version, so I don't know what page it's on, but it says, Harry needed his forehead with his knuckles, what he really wanted, and it felt almost shameful to admit it to himself, was someone someone like a parent, an adult wizard whose advice he could ask without feeling stupid, someone who cared about him, who had had experience of dark magic. And that's when it occurs to him that he's going to ask Sirius. So he 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 knows that what's lacking in his life. Um, but he's he is a kid. He's not. And he's also, you know, kids are not going to tell that they're not going to share. He, he said he's, he's even afraid. He doesn't want to admit it to himself that that's. Yeah. So I think that, um, you know, and, and I think Sirius is like safe, you know, Serious. He's a criminal. Well, I know. I think he's safe. I think Sirius, right off the bat, you know, is as has seemed like, you know, someone who Sirius is, doesn't like Snape, so that's that's okay in right, Harry's that, book. Exactly. They have that. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. And he he he's the he's the person outside of Lupin who spent the most time with my father. Um. Yep. So I think that that's why he would you know, feel like, and I think there's always this idea of not letting Dumbledore down in some way, or, you know, he, he or that Dumbledore's too unattainable unless it's something where Dumbledore has made himself accessible. You know what I mean? Mm. So, yeah, I, I think Sirius is a safe option for him. He feels is a safe option for him. But because that is deliberate, we would find out later on on Dumbledore's part, right? That, that yeah. there is this war between him and Harry. 
Yes. That is deliberate. It's deliberate. Mm -hmm. Right. So we spend so much time. So before we go into the school and all of that mess, well, no, we know Deb wants it. I forgot to put it on my list. Deb and her sporting culture. She wants to get into that. And you will get a chance. But we're back with our good old friends, the Dursleys and Dudley. And we realize that <laughs> Dudley is, the school has sent a note and saying, like, you know, like, look, we're not missing any word. <laughs> Dudley. Or oh, I think what this is, he's the size of a baby elephant or something like that. Look, J.K. <laughs> Rowling be like, she be like, she does not play around with these people. Like, when she, you can tell when she, the narrator has contempt for characters, you, you can clearly yeah. tell that. And if there's any kind of wishy-washy about the characters, she lets Harry express this feeling. But as the narrator, she be like, these Dursley, she call them, she she treats them almost in a sort of a childish manner. She doesn't get to the fact that these people are some wicked, evil, vile people, right? That's for us to make that sort of conclusion. But she just pushes us to that edge, and you know, like, oh, this baby elephant. And then, I don't know, whale. like, kill a whale. <laughs> Right? Um, the size of a small killer whale. <laughs> <laughs> Look, um, and, and Petunia's. <laughs> I was thinking that Aunt Petunia is so hungry she ain't there eating her own tongue. Because she. That's <laughs> not the grapefruit sections. Oh, Dudley has to. Um, Dudley is. On a diet of grapefruit and lima beans or something like that. I don't. I don't know who cottage thinks this. Cheese, I think, at some point. Cottage cheese, grapefruit and cottage cheese. Uh, and no exercise apparently. Uh, and the only comfort Dudley can have is that whatever he gets, Harry gets a little uh, far less. <laughs> and then the other adults in the place decided to send Harry cake, thinking that is nutritional. <laughs> A balanced diet of right. cakes and maybe some pie. I'm just like... Hey, Hermione not... sent sugar-free candy. <laughs> that makes it even better, which sugar-free isn't really sugar-free. But I'm just like, is anybody around here looking out for the well-being of this child having a child eat properly? Some fruit? Some vegetables? <laughs> something? Oh, they had carrot sticks. He had carrot sticks. Listen. I mean, y'all know Harry has some kind of... I mean, during those months on Privet Drive, Harry probably had rickets, right? He probably lacked any kind of vitamin D. Like <laughs> Harry had rickets. Rickets you know and Cut it out. Cut it out. You think I'm joking? Like he Harry is getting rickets. like he vitamin D well and vitamin for most C. Of the year. What's that? No, I'm talking He's been about. Well fed for most of the year. Yes, but I'm talking about for 11 years. <laughs> he has been badly damaged by rickets and scurvy. Okay, like <laughs> you can't tell me anything else. <laughs> well, it's a good thing he wasn't spending a lot of time on That is true. But I'm just simply saying, so this kid tells you he's going to get a grapefruit and a Tic Tac as his meal, and you're sending cake. Like, I mean, I would love to eat cake all day, but that is not nutrition, okay? No, it is delicious. It is not nutrition. And I'm, but you know, he got some meat pies. Which I think is okay. Meat pies probably. That's probably much more, more solid. But you know, Harry needs some more food for the basic. Because I know, having been used to eating three delicious square meals and hearty meals, 
at um the Hogwarts, I would have been fighting Dudley. I swear to God, like I wouldn't. I don't care what they're saying. I was not gonna be having this like <laughs> a grapefruit. Like, come on, two pegs of a grapefruit. Look, you people have you know, and you notice that Harry is slowly and slowly like he's getting in their face, right? And Harry knows how to manipulate them. He's trying his plan, you know, like, oh, I can't go to the World Cup? Well, let me just let Sirius know that you said I can't go. (laughs) But it's interesting that he's the only one, he's only learned how to really manipulate the Dursleys. He's not able to do that in other the other parts of his life he's constantly questioning himself at hogwarts he doesn't he doesn't have the confidence to do that anywhere else well he doesn't have leverage in the magical world right he thinks he doesn't have leverage because the thing that would give him probably leverage is the thing that is constantly thrown in his face by snape and right alfoy right you are the boy who lived you know and you know that that's the thing i i, I think is such a a cruel statement to say to a child or to anyone, right? Like, oh my God, it's almost like if you died in a car, like if your parents were killed in a car crash, be like, oh, look at you, you lived. Like, it's such a thing to, like, it's such a, it's so violent. I, I don't even know what, again, sometimes I'm lost in the world at the evilness and the callousness of these people within the book. Because to tell someone that, you know, like, oh, the boy who lived. His parents got murdered and someone attempted to kill him. And God forbid he lived. You're going to throw that in his face as an insult? Like, who is going to be celebratory and cocky like, oh my God, well, my parents got killed and I live. Bully for me. Ain't I the shit in the crowd, right? You know, it's just like, what is that? Like, I, I, you know, as I'm reading the book this time around, I'm just like, why would you say this? I mean, I understand the implication of like, you know, he survives the Avada Kedavra curse. Right? Like, that is a thing. That is the unknown thing to happen. But that was a truly dramatic... Like, it's almost like someone attempted to kill you and you survive. Like, you don't celebrate. You know what I mean? It's it's not a mark of um, a, a badge of honor. You know what I mean? In that sense. Because someone... Because people died at the same time. So sometimes I'm just like, wow. You people are really, well, I think really the only cheap. people that say it nasty are Malfoy... Well, and Snape, no. really. Well, not even Snape so much. Uh, I don't know. That's iffy. But, but, but they, he says but, Snape says it more as a statement. Malfoy, when he says it, it's it's more of a of a dig. Right, but that's a hard. But I, I don't know. Maybe it might be because the fact that he not only lived, he allegedly destroyed Voldemort, and that's the thing that is most noteworthy about the interaction, right? He lived, and sure. Voldemort is destroyed. You know, but. You know, so we uh, so we're here, and Harry is the um, the Weasley shows up to collect Harry. Did you love and this for me is one of my favorite scenes. This is one of my favorite scenes. I love this scene. I think this is one of those laugh out loud. Um, <laughs> yes. And you know, it kind of the collision of the Muggle world versus the, the, the magical world. Magical world. And, um, you know, the, the Weasleys are trying very hard not to do anything to, to embarrass Harry or to, you know, make it more harder for Harry. But they just don't understand this level of meanness, you know, that no. the Dursleys have. 
they don't understand it and i think they do they they do push back against it like well know, they know harry right that's yeah. the other thing too right they know harry and right. harry for the boys, they know harry but, better than the dursleys do well no not in that well yes but i mean like to them harry potter does not never becomes harry potter right 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 harry potter is just harry He's right yeah. and for fred and george this is their teammate, you know what I mean? An essential part right. of the team. And I mean, granted, right. he gave them the victory last year. Um, so Harry is always cool. Um, he's their brother's best friend, which is good, you know, though they call Ran a git all the time. Ran is very obnoxious, and we can we would be annoyed with Ran anyway, but they still love <laughs> their brother. Um, and you know, they Harry is cool, you know. What I mean, like, you know, he's not rude. He's not, you know, so he's really cool. So for them, Harry's their friend, you know what I mean? And then to hear, like, you know, like, these people are just, like, horrible. And these are wizards, so they know horrible things, right? And these people are just, like, horrendous, you know? So they're like, oh, we want to come along. We want to come along. And poor Mr. Weasley, he's just like, yeah, I have a fireplace and there's no real fire in there. Like, right, and what is wrong with that? What is that? Like, does he does all that? the electric? How does he say it? I was trying to think earlier. I'm like, what does he say I for electricity? Even, like, can we not go? Because <laughs> he tries so hard to be like. Electric. He calls it he's electric. Just, he's like, eclectic. you know, he's trying so hard to relate. <laughs> And, and to be like, oh, this is something like I can talk to the muggles about, but then totally just screws up that word. And then plugs in a plug, I collect plugs. Like <laughs> that's so My weird, dear, but it's, Mr. it's great. Like I have plugs. Vernon was killing me. <laughs> Vernon was just like, they are gonna dress properly, right? Are they going to dress properly? Make sure that lot because you lot be looking kind of mess. And I was like, Mr. Durso, you do have a point they're right he's just like i don't understand why these people are being messy and then 501 he's just like they're late oh my god they're late this lot i knew they're good you know and poor harry harry's in a panic now he's like oh my god he's like i didn't even see are they coming with a car because you know and petunia and a bony face a horse she wants to see the car they have a benz and mercedes i want to see that and then harry's just like oh my god i didn't even consider how they're gonna come here broomstick flying car well that might not be available anymore like, and you know, it's just boom. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> boom. Talking, boom. Wait, just, wait, no. talking oh my God, inside it's of the fireplace. And they're talking inside of the fireplace. And that is just hilarious. Then they come out. <laughs> this is my favorite scene. I have to say, honest to God, I love this scene. I remember just like, oh my God, this is for Dudley's trying to hide his bottom because last time he met a right. wizard, he was a pig. You know, Petunia is like screaming. And there is J.K. Rowling. Can't wait to get another dig at them for being quote unquote fat. She's just like, oh, Uncle Vernon can hide and Petunia. But he certainly can't cover Dudley, right? Because Dudley <laughs> is like a baby elephant mm-hmm. like, behind there. And like, listen to me. George and Fred are the potions master. They're brilliant. I mean, this is brilliant magic. This is brilliant magic. Really, Chun showing you how magic is applied. They take right. whatever their magical skills and magical um, abilities, and they know how to make it work for them. Right, and this is like, and you know, just like crab and goil, right? Who's eating shit they mean on the ground? Like, who does this? 
you're in a magical <laughs> school. You're going to eat shit. You find out that ground. You're going to eat something. Like, it could be any number of things, right? Ooh, let's, let's, let's. Who leaves cake outside on the ground? You pick it up and eat it. And there is Dudley, like, some people he hates, right? People mm-hmm. you're afraid of. Candy <laughs> drop out their pocket. But let me get... <laughs> He's been so deprived. He's like, oh my God, it's candy. Right, right. Because he's so desperate. For, I mean, he was, you know, he didn't have to be desperate because he's greedy. So, I'm going to just put it as he's hungry. Yeah. This is the first time Dudley has known hunger, right? Right. This is the first time Dudley has known his anything life. in his life, right? Because we've seen he wants a million birthday gifts, he gets that. Right? He gets right. second potion. He gets to eat Harry's food. Because he's Look, there. This motherfucker, he chucked a PlayStation out the window. A PlayStation. Look, so, so, do you know how hungry you have to be to be eyeing somebody else's grapefruit? Like, I'm you got to be right. really. <laughs> Look, That's a good you, point. That's a good you point. You have to be no really one's hungry. For grapefruit. And look, especially if it's diet grapefruit. Because if it's diet grapefruit, <laughs> it's the white grapefruit. Okay? It ain't the pink, juicy, you know, sweet one. It's that white grape, that golden grapefruit. And everybody oh, would just be like, oh. And I don't want that. I'm Harry. He's eyeing everybody else's grapefruit. Whole thing. And then my favorite bit is like, when he does eat the candy, and Petunia is trying to pull it out of his <laughs> I mean, it's hysterical. I'm Harry. It's just like, He's just like, he started to throttle her. He's trying to punch her in the face. Like, you're trying to choke me. <laughs> and then Uncle Vaughn is just like, get away, get away. Chucking the, uh, the, and I was like, Harry, you need, I was so mad at Harry. Just like, Harry, you needed to stay and see this drama. Because I needed to see how this whole scene dissolved. Because, so because this is knows, the, the best thing he can do is get Harry out of the way. <laughs> And then he can try to get this thing back to normal so they can go on their business. <laughs> and then he comes. That was brilliant. Brilliant. But you see how cruel JK is, right? You see how cruel they are. You know how you know your point out, right? They are result of physical, right? <laughs> <laughs> but my, it's, it's when Petrina is just like squeezing the tongue. And I'm just like, clearly it's his tongue, miss. You don't take out anybody's tongue. No matter how big it is, like just right. It's not like something is stuck in his teeth, you know. Like, what are you doing? She's oh, gonna pull boy. it out. So she's gonna pull it out. Yeah. Yes. So Harry is safely at the place he loves the borough, and he meets Charlie, and we meet the whole gang is there, right? Charlie with burns on his hands. I don't know why he got burns. Yeah, I got magic, but okay. And he meets Bill, and we well, find they, out they, first. They healed the burn. They didn't say they didn't leave any scars. They're not, they're not you know, they're healed, but, you know. Will thinks they should have fire repellent dragon something. Dragon fire I'm repellent like, something. I'm see a dragon. Protection. It's not like they don't go outside with an umbrella. They do. So I'm like, you're going to see a dragon. Like, come on now. I got, like, I see a dragon. Right? I see a dragon. Which, first of all, I realize it's real, and it's spitting fire. How am I going to handle a dragon? <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
know what I mean? The first thing I'm always thinking about, because literally there's, a, there's such a thing as dragon hide glove, right? You know, right. Because, so I'm just like, if you see fire, clearly we got to have some fire protection to be with dragons, right? Just saying. I don't think I'm gonna. It's, I, I might as well go to the dragon in a grass skirt, right? Because it's just like. For <laughs> me. Like, it's like. Because, I mean, come on now. You know, because firemen don't go in there wearing two piece suit. They don't go in a fire. They wear fire retired and clothing. But anyway. <laughs> not but anyway, so we meet the family, we meet the gang, and we realize, you know, life is outside of. um. Life is outside of um, magical out of school. We see Charlie has some kind of job. And Harry's here because of the Quidditch World Cup. And they got tickets and it's all excitement and brouhaha to go to the thing. And we see one of the interesting things about this book is that um, I think I, I mentioned it to you that this book brings a lot of like magical elements, I guess, of the world. We see it because we sort of see them more at home and, and, and walking around in the wider magical world and not just shopping for something, right? Because usually we go to a shop. But they're in the house. They're having dinner. We see Mrs. Weasley cooking up dinner and sauce is coming out of her wand and mm-hmm. she's skinning potatoes. And before we even get it, she's sort of upset that the Weasley, Fred and George are trying to make money. I'm just like, girl, why are you mad? Like y'all don't have any money. I think it's that they're trying to. I think she feels like they, you know, the what they're used, what they're doing, um, the the doing the order forms and the types of jokes and and joking prank products that they are coming up with. I think she worries about them. I think she's wanting them to be more respectable, like the other two boys, the older the older boys. Right, Bill and George and Percy. Yeah. but I'm. Just like, but clearly they're not, they're thinking about something else, right? Yeah, Which is something yeah. that seems to be, that that it's right there, right? The Weasleys don't, and I guess this is the thing that bothers me much. It's just like, I do not understand how you people function in this world. Like, you know what I mean? You are witches and wizards, right? right? You have magical capabilities. Okay, you might not be able to magic money. Don't know why never ever said that that is not a thing, right? That you can't literally magic money into being right but it seemed to require that real goal has to be acquired from somewhere like there isn't that it operates that monetary the economics of the magical world operates very similar to the real world but i mean it's clear that poverty is a thing that hits in this family the book describes the house like a pigsty right it used to be originally a pigsty like literally now, that it is dirty like a pigsty, that it used to be a pigsty that was built upon a pigsty, which is right. it's, it's not a good thing. And I am like, okay, you can't fix the house. There is little money. Ron seems to be complaining constantly about all of the things that he owns is rubbish. You know what I mean? Yeah. There is a real economic concern in the house. There is one working person with a father for the most part. Then Percy is working. We don't know how salary works and whatever the case may be. I don't imagine if Percy is contributing. But also, they spend a lot of money on Percy. Every chance that they get, Percy gets a new owl. Percy gets a new something, you know, because, you know, Percy books have to be new. 
something of that not that said they invested in Percy, but Percy doesn't seem to be invested in them, right? George right. and I mean Bill and Charlie, wherever they're working, they live elsewhere. I so don't I don't the impression that they invest in who does well is more not invested, but it's a reward. Okay. I, I also think that they see Percy as the one their academic, um, academically inclined child. Well, I the mean, other Percy, two seem to have been very uh, academic as well. Bill, Bill would have had to have been. Is neither one working for the bank? Green, yes. Bill seemed to. Bill used to be the head boy, so right. presumably he was an academic, just the same. Exactly. So but I, my thing is just like, but I'm just like, you know, like these people are thinking, you know, like, because I was literally this way. There wasn't a lot of money running around. I needed stuff. My mother couldn't give it to me, and therefore I had to find some way of creating an income for myself. Right, it wasn't anything nefarious, but you know, but she, but, but her response to the whole thing, she doesn't hear, the, she doesn't deal with. Yes, I, I get that she's talking about the, the respectability aspect of it, you know, like right. it's a joke shop, you're doing all this thing, whatever the case may be. But she isn't hearing the real concern that they're talking about. There is an order form. They need to make money. Right. They need money. <laughs> money you do not have. And somebody needs to tell me how Green Got works, how Mrs. Weezy can go to the bank and get in Harry Vault. I don't know how that works, but it's a whole other story, right? She's done this twice. If that was a hospital, we'd be yelling, HIPAA violation! Right? <laughs> She's done this twice. Right? She's literally gone to the bank and said, I am Molly Weasley. I'm here to go in Harry's bank vault and get some money out. But... Well, yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like... I must, you know, I think I would. I just assume that, you know, the same way that um, Harry's letter came to the Weasleys, mm-hmm. um, you know, for for getting his his uh, Hogwarts things, that there would have been some kind of way that they could work it out that she could. You could get the things for get the money. Well, I'm Molly Weasley, of course. I'm a good girl. You know, I look. Yeah. We hang out at my house. <laughs> Therefore, you know, hey. <laughs> um, it, it, it's Harry Potter's account and associates. Okay. I <laughs> love how you question what? all of these things because I'm just like, they do it different in the wizarding world. Okay, fine. Well, right. no, but I mean, like, but because it's that becomes a central issue. But but you know, I and I didn't just say that flippantly because you would see. That part that she can go to the bank and go to his bank account, his bank vault, will become a central key issue because it becomes an issue in the beginning of the book, the first book, right? Someone tried to break into the school bank, the school vault. Right. And that was a problem because it is mentioned. You can't just go to the vault, right? It is crazy. It did become, but I guess it's probably not a high security um, one. But we would see this issue come up later in the later on book but to me the real thing yeah. i was getting to me here was the whole like girl why are you mad at these children for trying to make some money you clearly can't give them any money and no one's hearing that concern and to me for the once and i was like really concerned about the weasleys with fred and george because i'm just like they're the only one who look around and realize we're really poor and you know what we don't have to be poor well, that's the part that, that they're thinking that we can put our minds to it and come up with another way. Because Ron, this is the book where Ron looks around and says, 
we are really poor. Poor, exactly. He, Ron looks around yeah. too, but the but Fred and George are really, really. They got a kind of a, a smart that you know is a, an entrepreneurial and innovative. They are just that kind of smart. Percy is book smart. Um, probably Bill was a little bit a combination of both. Right. But you know, but Fred and George are the kind of you know entrepreneurs. Um, always thinking, looking at the world around them, figuring out how they can make it work for them. So that's that's who they are. But I don't think Molly understands that difference. And she, you know, because you know, she's always about the respectability. You know, Bill's hair's too long. In addition to, you know, she just wants her kids to be seen as, you know. And Charlie plays with dragon. And you want to come at this one for hair? Long hair? Girl, like, I don't understand right. your priority. Your world is messed up, ma'am. I don't understand this. Your kids are poor. That's a typical mother. But I they're not starving, though. But no. I, that I, that I, like that I, I would know. Them. I just love them and try to give keep them on the on the straight and narrow. And as much love as I have to give them, I still have love left over for this orphan kid. Harry, I still have love for Hermione. And so I have just have, this is a big loving household and I can just take in whoever needs it. But she does have this idea about the way she, they're supposed to conduct themselves and how they're, right. and, you know, she doesn't want them kicked out of Hogwarts for doing something. Girl, I'm just like, if Fred and George have not been kicked out yet. And that's the other thing too, because she just like, you didn't get enough OWL. Man, right. that can't be true either because they're in the sixth year. You literally have to pass a lot of subjects because we would find out you don't just have to get a subject. It's right. not like you could continue defense against the dark arts by passing defense against the dark arts. You have to pass potions and transfiguration. Right. You know what I mean? Like it isn't. So to me, I was just like, when it, when like as we get on in the book, looking at what Percy, she's looking at what Percy did. She's expecting them to do exactly what Percy did. And right, but I'm just like they're not that, doing that. But I'm just like, girl, like who wants to be Percy? Like I, Percy, I sentiments exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Percy isn't even. I think Percy's interested in. He's very ambitious. You could see he has a clear plan, right? Ambitious. I am going to be um, head boy, a prefect. I'm going to be a head boy, and then I'm going to be minister of magic. He thought that he was going to yes. graduate school yes. and go straight to the top. And I and I and I get all of that, right? And I can I can appreciate that level of ambition. You know what I mean? The attitude so much so nah. But the an ambition, asshole. I get it. He's I mean he's an asshole. asshole, but you know, but you see, because he too is looking around and he too recognizes that they're poor and they have a contrary attitude to the wizarding world. He is recognizing that just the same. Sure. Um so that I think was sort of an interesting thing because he keeps being mentioned so often. You know what I mean? I thought that was a sort of interesting thing, whatever. But like I said, we came to the Weasley's house to go to the World Cup, which mm-hmm. Deb, you get to, you know. Now this is where I talk about the sporting culture. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and I think the, the person who is the prime, one of the prime um, people about that, of course, is, is um, as Ludo Bagman. <laughs> and I mean, he's like, you know, as I was, re- you know, I, sorry, just because, as I was reading this, I was just like, oh, Debbie's gonna come after Ludo so badly. I know, Ludo, 
Ludo was like, all of these people who had a little minor success, and now they have parlayed that into a big job that they have no business Ludo with. Ludo is a Russian. You know, he's a Russian athlete. <laughs> no, it's just, all Russian athletes become a minister of government somewhere. Exactly. Oh, Lord. He he is just he's parlayed that into a big job he has no business with. He's he's obviously gambles more than he should. Um, obviously, everything about him is um, you know he's he's making judgments about people. He's talking about people being weirdos and you know you got a World Cup and you're talking about loads of foreigners. Well, of course there's loads of foreigners. At a World Cup. <laughs> I mean he's just he's just really so he's not the brightest bulb in the drawer. So you really, I just think they really do, a, she does a great job of dealing with um, the representation of sports culture. And I think that's in Ludo Bagman, um, 100%. So Isn't it also in Victor Crumb? Well, Victor Crumb, you know, is, is the, on the I don't album. know. I think Victor Crumb is more like, um, you know, the, the phenom. You know, the one who is really, really good at what he does. Misunderstood young phenom, though. Like, yeah. because well, we, get the, is we like, get the impression at times that he's also the dumb jock. The only person to, even it, before we get to Hogwarts and before we see him there, we kind of get the impression that he's just the dumb jock. All he does is play Quidditch well. Even down to the toy. Well, no, Victor but you Crump. see... I read that he doesn't quite walk right. I read that, but I think he's that he's he's not comfortable off of the ground. They're trying right, to say right, but uh, I think when we see him later, it, he has a language issue. Right. Um, I just I'm not sure. Just, you know, he may not have been like chief academic, but I think like so many times, what happens with kids when they're really really good at sports is that's all they're encouraged to be good at. And um, right, so you sure. just don't know if he could have done some, you know, done more. That, that's area. what I read as him. I read that no one seemed to be, no one seemed to be concerned about Victor Crumb as Victor, right? right. Kakarov kept thinking that he's his most exceptional student. He's not only an exceptional student at Dahlstrom. You know what I mean? Like he's concerned about the school is like very dreary. We don't have anything. Like he lives in a very um, I would say functional world is that Victor Crumb, the student, Victor Crumb, the international Quidditch player, right? And that's yeah. it. That's how everyone consumes him. That is his because identity. He, because yeah. no one ever, because no one ever treats Victor like a human being, right? Right. Because even Harry, even even Hermione, she's just like, oh my god, like every time they just keep coming around, it's like. Like, why does he keep bringing these idiot girls around here? Like, this is a life, okay? <laughs> this is not a place to be lounging around, right? Like, she right. she treats him as the product. But then when we see later on, when they have an interaction, she talks to him. She's just like, oh, no, Victor is not like this at all. And yeah. I was like, girl, why yeah. didn't you end up with this dude? Why didn't you end up with oh, this dude? Oh, stop. Oh, my God. Like, oh. Of course she's because- supposed to end up Ron, don't you even go there. We're not having this discussion now. We're not, ha- we're not doing any shipping right now. <laughs> no. Nope. I like how y'all but, talk about shipping. But you know, I, know uh, that, I know that Reels has major issues with the happenings at the World Cup. So let's let's dig in there. Because 
no it's hilarious. You really. did you are right about the, the odd sporting culture. And that uh-huh. you, one thing I keep noticing, uh, I keep pointing to, it's how very much like the magical world, it's like the muggle world. Yeah. Like the same problems that are plaguing it. And you would think magic is supposed to solve these problems. But you know that magic just seems to be a thing that solves very mundane issues for these wizards. Right? right. So, for example, so, right. you know, like, like, it's almost like they're going to literally take their wand and be like, we need a spell to bring the remote to us. That's how they treat magic. Not right. like we could take magic and we could create a magical theater where anything <laughs> I want to see can happen in front of me. But they I, don't think, think... I think that that is one of the, the overarching themes of the series is that magic, that they're still human beings and that there are mm-hmm. things that magic can't fix that go that go bad for human beings. Yep. But, and, but, and, and then they resent... And then they resent people because one of the things that becomes clear in the first book and we would see later on in the series is that you, like we mentioned, is a Voldemort crudeness in magic and as opposed to Dumbledore's sophistication in magic, right? right? Right. And you have this sort of like, but and they are trying to, but they are trying to understand magic and push magic because this is, this is a wonderful gift, I think. Uh, Dumbledore may see it as a gift that they have been given as wizards and witches, but Voldemort sees this as this is a wonderful power that I have access to, and exactly. I want more. And, I, I think and then Voldemort, everybody else in between is just like, hmm, I got some magic. I could literally turn a teacup into a into a salsa. I could right. turn a little puppy into a jug. You know what I mean? I like could that's turn a self boy into a ferret. Right. That's how they <laughs> see magic. <laughs> I think it's not even like an appliance it's more of an accessory oh this is something that I can do you know what I mean but it's just that they sort of set themselves up in this allegedly magical world because we see at the Quidditch World Cup right they're like oh we have all of this like all of this like supposedly um, programming and all of this logistics they have to figure out a port key in this certain place you know what I mean so that everyone can come in at the same time yada 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 and I'm just like, why? Why do y'all have to literally go through all of this nonsense? Because you can literally, who can apparate, apparate. Like, no one is in a forest. <laughs> no one is in there. Because to me, just like, what are you really hiding when you're going to, what is the point of people just popping up out of nowhere you're saying that is dangerous when you're going to have all of these 100,000 people in one spot shouting and screaming their heads off over mm-hmm. a sporting tournament? Like, isn't that going to attract muggles and noise? And like, like the me just seem crazy. They have to go to a pipe to go catch water. Like you literally have a tent that looked like a house inside. That looked like a little <laughs> teepee. And then when you go inside, it's a full-on apartment. And you have to go to a, a standpipe to get some water. Like what is this? Like yeah. you want? Like Molly literally pours sauce out of her wand a chapter ago, and y'all can't get water in a kettle. Like, uh, to me, that just seemed like, okay, I get you wanted us to see other places, like the other people of different places and continent, because all of a sudden, we're witches from United States and African witches. Like, girl, Africa got countries. You know some of them, because literally, Uganda was playing in the Quidditch World Cup. And let me just say, the fact that, um, I don't know, was it Uganda who beat England? Was it Uganda? 
I forget who it was beat England. England only scored 10? I'm just like, yeah, scored one goal? One goal. Like, one goal. Like, who did y'all play? Neville? Like, who played? Like, it was just like broomstick to just flying around, like, just like, like one goal in a whole. Maybe that was, maybe that was a way to say black people are really good at sports. Oh, no, they, they lost it. In the final. No, they, they went down to Transylvania, which is not even. You know, when they were talking three, about England. 390 to 10. <laughs> Janina. <laughs> like. I'm trying. For some reason, for some reason, Mr. Weasley has them doing all of these things um, because it's anti-muggle security. Right. And you know. And because he's fascinated with muggles. I don't think it has anything to do with they can't do it. He wants to have the muggle experience. He's like, oh, but this is how muggles camp, so let's do it like this. I really think that's what it is. I really, really do. You see, that is is the part that gets me as being, okay, I hear that, but then it gets all wonky because because everyone else has a tent. The tent is not a muggle thing, right? The tent is just a thing that you kind of need if you're going to be outside, right? Because it's not a regular muggle tent. It clearly is not. Like, nothing about it is But from the outside, it is. Yes, but but here's the thing. Again, and and it's almost like, it's almost a crudeness and cruelness that Wizard treats muggles with, right? Because you have four people here, right, who, I guess, run the campground. And you have these people under um, impervious curse and confounders. Um, charms and whatever the case may be. For what reason, I do not know. But you're supposed to repel in everyone else. Like these people don't need to be here. Like, there is no reason this whole thing can function because you're not hiding it from anyone when it, it's there. Because the school happens and all manner of things happen to the school. And you don't got to do anything around the school, but you know, the regular anti muggle charms and, you know, I mean, whatever the case may be, they see a, a rubble or whatever the case may be. That this thing could have been applied here, but yet this whole the, the whole logistics of this just seems somewhat insane to me, because though it though it, it does make for like spectacular theater, right? In terms of like reading this, like oh my god, port keys, oh my god, apparating this apparating in the forest and all this kind of things, and it just seemed like yeah, I don't understand why all of this well, is happening. Yeah. No, you just said why it's happening because it makes for good reading, yeah, and okay, it is but, fun. And, and then we then, do want magical yeah. elements, and there they are. And we want the contrast between the magical world and the and the and the Muggle world. So I think that there are some things that that are put in there to provide that contrast. Okay. No, they're not I the agree. things that they're, you. They're like logistically. <laughs> And you know that that Look, was one Wilson's of the criticisms. So not buying it. He's like, well, oh, no, okay. it was one of the criticisms that I I saw online about people were saying about the fourth book, how they disliked the fourth book, because for us we were charmed by the idea of the task, right? Because this was so, um, it was such a cliche, took a, took a cliche, and turned it on in its head, right? You know, like like judge it up somewhat, right? Usually yeah. magical books have you know like a task that the hero has to do. Right. And right. there's the, there it is right in this book. But they felt that, you know, some critics said that, you know, like the magic in this book, the magical elements got all wonky. They were like all over the place. And I was just like, I can see that. But then, you know, and I totally skipped over this because 
I accepted it on face value in many ways, you know, just like, yeah, okay, I see it. But then I was just like, y'all have a hospital and a school and a ministry of magic. Like, y'all have big institution where, like, maybe not 100,000 people are coming. And you have a train platform. There are these things that are happening within the wizarding world and whatever. And then come to find out, here's the odd thing. There is only one magical village in the whole of United Kingdom. One, Hogsmeade, which is crazy. And then this goes back to my other problem. So then y'all live amongst regular people. And why y'all are dressing like idiots? I don't understand it. <laughs> I don't get this. Why are muggles so unusual to you people? Do but none of you live in this city? I mean, th- th- when you think about the borough, the borough is nowhere near um, regular people. Well, right. I mean, they, they don't seem to be. But that's what's the thing. That they but the Ministry of Magic is, and Arthur Weasley goes there every day. Goes to right. work every day in London. There are some there are some holes, but I'm fine. He doesn't have to go through the village. He he can apparate. He's he's of age, so he's not exactly going to the village. Or he can do a flu network. That's true. So That's true. Like, he can't. He well, the village. We do learn later. They do go into. We the do village, learn so. later that lots of. But we do learn later that lots of the wizards who work at the Ministry of Magic get there by operating and by using the flu powder network but they also have a lot that come in off the streets who yeah. you know commute so to speak and you know they go into this telephone booth and then they gotta flush themselves down the toilet right. and all well, that the right toilet stuff. the pot comes later on i think that was not the original I, I know, I'm just saying, so you're right they do have to interact with the muggle the world, the magical world. Day, like, it should be a bizarre kind of a like well, but, but but you know what but it, it speaks to something well we let's say let's say that it's true right let's just say that i'm being over i'm being over critical right i'm expecting something from these books that it's not there, right? This is the world. This is what the world is, right? Accept it. Right. Don't accept it. But the but it speaks to something else, though. Like how removed these people are from the actual time that it is happening. That the magical world is in some kind of dark ages. Mm-hmm. Rita Skeeter points to that in a certain way because that's how she sort of like points to Dumbledore, and that's one of the 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 the, the thing that is Dumbledore is known from Dumbledore all the while, right? Dumbledore seemed to be somehow out of touch with the ages. And it's kind of an odd thing when time is always mentioned, right? Because we constantly get certain elements of the history of the magical world. The Goblin Rebellion, the Secrecy Act, right? That they go into hiding. And apparently when they went into hiding, like time literally stopped. But you know what? No, not yes and no. Like I totally get what you're saying. However... We see it every day in the muggle world, in our everyday lives. You see people who get stuck in a decade. I have some in my family. Most people do. I have an aunt and uncle. If I showed you pictures right now of them today, you would go, holy shit, are they stuck in the 70s? Why, yes, yes, they are. Because that was their heyday. That's what they loved. And that's what they want to hold on to. So, I mean, like, as much as it doesn't make sense that they don't do things in the Janine, wizarding world, Regina, it but does you make are sense describing, it But you are describing 
a person, a, a small select. No, not really, not because, really. This because happens I tell you all what, the time. Because when body crouch, no, that's why you see these little old ladies who never change their hairstyle because this is what they liked when they were forty, that fifty, is whatever. And that is convenient. One thing I've learned from older women is that look, when you get to be a woman of a certain age, you don't have time to sit down and quaffer this so. hair. I think it's more than that. It becomes a piece of this is what I know how to do. And when it was my prime, I was doing it But you are describing certain group pockets of a population, right? You're not describing the entire population. Because we get this example right here at the, the Quidditch World Cup. When Barty Crouch shows up on the scene, he's wearing a pinstripe suit. Right. And I'm sure, Deb, if you're reading the illustrated version, right, he mm-hmm. has a he basically he's missing a bowler hat. Right. He has right. like a he has a suit. He has an umbrella. He looks like a banker. She says that much. The narrator says that much. And when we have given that information as us to see that Batty Crouch is an oddity here, that he seems to be a stickler to too much to the rules. I mean, it's not even just so much to the dressing that really gets to me, but on a whole. How they are so out of touch that Mr. That Mr. Um, Weasley don't even know the word electric. <laughs> he could be, be unused to plugs. You understand what I'm saying? And under, you know what I mean? But it's just like, I'm just like, electric? Like you're stumbling over that? And here's the one thing. After, there are several classes that we've never been to. We've never been to a muggle study class. We've never been to a Ritmancy class. But we're always up in divination. I don't even know why, but we're out in divination. We're in care of magical creatures, and Hagrid don't do a goddamn thing. Hagrid, Hagrid taught one class in care of magical creatures. The hippogriff. all about stuff. And then it was, and then it was a shit show, and then it was done. So I, I don't want to get necessarily bogged down in weeds, but why, why I keep mentioning it is because this book brings us, brings the whole magical world, exposes the entire magical world, right? we get to see a lot more elements of the magical world than we are necessarily used to. And particularly, we get to see the politics. It is the politics that is interesting in this book because it's how everything seems to be run. What's happening at the ministry, how certain departments is lapsed because Bertha Jawkins, who we heard about in the first chapter, comes up in the second book, in in this chapter, because Bertha is... um, um, Bertha is missing and no one yeah. is and Luda Bagman is like whatever Bertha you know Bertha is like oh, oh. Bertha is like that he kind of girl be talking about somebody What's that? <laughs> he has a nerve to be talking about somebody <laughs> right right <laughs> Deb you were that girl in school who's just like Jack get out of my face get out of my face exactly. I will <laughs> Really, because I, I am with you. I'm with you, Deb. I'm I'm that person. And, and nobody loves sports more than I do. You know, to watch and you know cheer it on when it's on and stuff like that. But it's also an element, so to speak, um, that that Ludo Bagman really illustrates very well. That you know, I'm I'm ready to like talk to the hand. No, before. We can um before we we we, we wrap up in this sort of a sense because you know 
Oh lord. Let's re- let's talk about the, the, let's actually talk about what goes on there. And the World Cup, right? So yeah, yeah. Uh, we meet we meet another house elf, and we are we are exposed to again more politics, the politics of Winky, and Winky seems to be scared of heights, but somehow she's still supposed to be in the topmost box. And something I didn't even think about, like when you're at a Quidditch World Cup, when you're at a Quidditch match. You have to be on high, high stance. Yep. I just imagine, because meanwhile in the muggle world, right, that being in the high stance is a cheap ticket, but in the in the right. medical world, for Quidditch, right? This is the right, good stuff. These yeah, are the good because seats because flying. you can actually see the level in which they're playing with, you know, up and down. We meet some magical instrument, the... Um, the the I don't know the Omunoculars. Omunoculars, which I want a pair of those. I really would. Right. It'll be excellent right. for tennis matches. Then I don't have to listen to commentary. <laughs> it's um, <the> replay. <laughs> and then the World Cup is going on, and Harry, this is Harry's element, right? Yeah. That, you know, he is loving this because this is he appreciates this more than anything else. World Cup is happening and people are playing at high quality level skill like Victor Crumb can fly, you know what I mean? Everything is happening and he's he's in as you would say goat heaven. He's enjoying himself. We even and, have the um the the the, the wizard equivalent of the D- Dallas cheerleaders with the velas. <laughs> oh <laughs> right, that was such a messy thing for me. I don't know why it was such a messy element for me i didn't particularly mm-hmm. like it but i was just like okay girl we're gonna go with that you know what i mean we had the typical you know shamrock and l- leprechaun for um uh-huh. but it's odd because i wouldn't have expected leprechauns to be mascots in the mug magical world to me the mascots were kind of like what like girl we met a werewolf why does the vela seem to be some kind of exotic being we literally were friends with a werewolf last year was that? Was that? No, no, nothing. Oh, <laughs> so I don't know. What did y'all think about the mascot situation? I mean, they'll put on a show, I guess. But I have honestly never thought about it. I never considered <laughs> I mean, it one way or the other. I'm like, all right, it was French people of- are pretty. Like if you go to, <clears throat> I don't know about um, um, real like football, like European soccer. Um, but if you go to an NBA game or if you go to baseball right. game, almost all of them have mascots and they're yeah. all, you know, they're all, they're, they're in there between at the halftime. I mean, we, our mascots are Edgar Allen and Poe. <laughs> um, <laughs> Raven. So, I mean, that's a big part of sports culture is you have these mascots that entertain in between. They, they run the team flags out at the beginning um, so that's, yep. I assume it was part of sports culture, that it was the Wizarding World's, um, you know, version of sports culture. Yeah. I never but thought I, it was weird. I didn't ever think it shouldn't be there. Right. I thought it fit in perfectly. Um, but see, here's the thing, Deb, you and I probably, me for sure, I can't say for you for sure, but we watch more mainstream sports and this is what you see in mainstream sports. Yeah. They don't have cheerleaders at the biathlon reels. No, that's not true. And secondly, <laughs> so, they do have not in this sense. But not in this sense. Listen to me, cheerleaders wasn't the issue for me. That's not what I found odd. What I found odd was who on what were the cheerleaders. 
that's what I thought. But it had to be something that was going to be relatable, right, to the reader. So, I mean, everybody knows what a leprechaun is. And, yeah, let's throw out gold. And you think you're getting something. And, oh, crap, it's shit. That happens (laughs) at sporting events all the time. The cheerleaders come out. They throw some crap in the crowd. You're like, yeah, I got it. And then you open it up. And you're like, The villas are probably throwing herpes and, you know, probably (laughs) harpoons and fireballs, right? They probably train all those. Right, that is the implication, right? But I thought was really odd was that for me it was just like, oh, so for you two leprechauns, it's a mythical creature as well. Like for you, wizard and magical people, and the fact that villas are just like, oh, beautiful women who turn into like shrieking hoppies, you know, screaming at you and turning into like, I was like, oh, okay, that's kind of odd for the magic because that's something that I would expect. You know that I would imagine that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I guess for me, it didn't really take my imagination. It took my imagination. Like, this is such a thing, a thing that a child and a man would make up. You know what I mean? Like, it didn't yeah. seem to stretch well, think, my magical. Yeah. But, I but, think I, this but was I guess just that another to... example. I think it was just another example of something from the for the Muggle world that we relate to into the magical world and it was just a little bit extra mm-hmm. okay and i could see the That's sporting it. culture world for you know debut mentioned but it was you know i did i have to say that i enjoyed the world cup did i really in my mind i was really seeing the match yeah that i i, I really did enjoy and i think that's what's what that's what is my favorite part about this book is that there's so many details though they're kind of wonky but there's so much details about the world around you yeah, yeah. that it paints such a vivid picture. And that's why I think I was intrigued when when I found out, when you mentioned that, that you listened to this book the first time, mm-hmm. that more than, than instead of reading it, when you first got it, that how it must have been, like, for you, it was, like, so... Yeah, because this is a good listen. Right. Oh, yes. Because there's so much going on. And they're so it's a very colorful listen. And she's she's really good with description. She's really good with um the language of description and make and the pacing of description. So it really is a great, you know, you can see the things, you know, when you when you hear when you listen to it, especially and when you read it. I mean, you really can visualize that world and what they're doing. And so I think that this is you can see why Harry, you can and you really feel his excitement to be there, you know, he loves Quidditch. We just even know how much important it is to him and to see it played for the first time at a professional level. Right. Um, I think it really, you can see his excitement and his, his joy at being with the people he cares about the most, enjoying the sport that he loves the most. And he never thought about it. That's what I thought was interesting, right? That he plays Quidditch. She has the book, you know, the Chudley Cannons, whatnot. And he never even considered, you know, oh, wait, I could go to a professional game with Ron and Hermione. Well, not Hermione, yeah. because poor Hermione, right? Oh, God forbid, you know, Hermione is like <laughs> the, the Wansky faint. It's just like, it's the Ronsky faint. Yeah. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? But, and, you know, uh, that's <laughs> typical. That's that is typical stereotype. Of oh, the nerdy God. girl who doesn't know shit about sports. Oh, but 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 on the other hand, you've got Jenny who knows everything. 
Right. right. So it's not girl. like that's the, it's, you know, you can have that as a trope if that's not the only, yeah. female, you know, right. there who, but you, so you've got Jenny who knows all of this stuff because she's, but, but yeah. mind you, no one knows that Jenny knows all of this stuff, right? Because no one, yeah, we don't know she's it. a girl. Yeah. Not yet. You know what I mean? Because no, that no one considers, which is kind of odd because it's one of the, the interesting thing about Quidditch, right? It's that it's not gender specific. Women, right. it's really not. Play. Women can play any position, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. I could barely see Pansy Parkinson, Pansy Parkinson being the goalkeeper. I don't know. I can't uh, uh, Millicent Bode, <laughs> the girl who might be trying to fight. <laughs> I could rarely see Millie being the Slytherin. In fact, if that Slytherin had her as the keeper, they could have probably destroyed <laughs> Gryffindor. But I think Janina is calling for us to end soon, which is rather interesting because, (laughs) which is going to be, folks, it's not going to be two episodes for this podcast. It will not be. It's clearly going to be three. It's going to be three (laughs) at minimum, at minimum, because we haven't even gotten into the coup de grace, the major issue at the World Cup, you know. Yeah. Maybe we'll next have time. to we'll have to start we have there to, next we time. We have to give some time to that because there's so many plot later so plots. So much. And there's so right. many so much foreshadowing. Um there's so many things that it look they look like they don't matter, but they come to be very important towards the end. So if we need to to pick that. And this is a good place to end because Harry's still very hopeful. Right. He's, he's, he's happy. He's extremely happy of having had this great experience. Um, the Weasleys have managed to, they think, they've earned They think money. they won this they big bet. They're bet. They're going to, so, so everybody's really upbeat, and this is a great way to, to end. Right. And it's also considering Harry had such a, not, you know, a less than normal afternoon, not afternoon, the end of the book, right? Because in the other two books, it was sort of like happy ending, right? Like, yay, yay. Mm-hmm. The third book, not so much. That Harry's great joy, the ending, uh, right. with the great joy, comes later on in the book, mm-hmm. you know, in the fourth book, and it is this. It becomes interestingly enough, it's the last happy moment for Harry. Like not not really, but I think great joy. Yeah. Well, carefree. Any- yeah. Carefree moment. Carefree moment. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's this a good is the last time Harry gets to be carefree and you know loving you know like everything is right with the world basically with my world at this moment you know what i mean i am safe i am you know and this that's that's probably the key point right harry recognizing that safety is not an option for him anymore right Mm -hmm. right so you know um so this is the um it's going to be a very interesting book for uh maybe next week i will shut up about the politics which is very interesting here at the World Cup too. So uh, maybe I wouldn't say anything about politics and you know the magical elements which are wonky Rollin, JK, I know you're listening. And maybe <laughs> we'll get to <laughs> uh, you know, I, I have to say, ladies, I didn't think I thought that you all were wrong, but I was like, you know what? I'm not gonna say anything because women are usually smarter than men. I'm gonna be like, we can really do this in two podcasts. No. But then you know what? Again, men know nothing. <laughs> women are always right, especially black women. <laughs> And you were absolutely right that this is not going to be two episodes. <laughs> we barely tipped the 
Yeah, we, 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 we have we're not so even we, we just be we, we're not even at school yet. <laughs> right. No, we're not even where all the drama always happens, that's right? Okay. You know what? I like the scenic route. Which is yeah. also another interesting about this book, right? That the drama always happens at school, but not here. The drama is happening before school. So right. not the true drama. Oh, there's drama yeah. to come, yeah. There's but, drama to come. Okay. So yeah, that's that. So don't forget to check us out. To You can find us on iTunes. We will be on iTunes. We won't be on YouTube this week. Maybe later on. We could probably be there. But um, we will definitely Ooh, be... And we are now on Spotify. Don't yes. forget that. That's new for us. You can That's now new. find us on Spotify. Yeah, I Apparently. did that. Yep. A lot of our listeners seem to be on iTunes. So iTunes people, don't forget to rate us. You know, comment and review it. If you think Reels doesn't know what he's talking about, you know, I am always open to please tell (laughs) us. I'm open for discussion. You know what I mean? I said what I said, you know what I mean? I said what I said. All right, guys. That was fun. So fun. So good night, ladies. And you know see you next week. Ciao ciao. Yes, you will. Ciao ciao. Oh, you know what? In the middle of the week because Janina might be like, Oh my god, we need to be Mischief managed. Thank you.